Matthew chapter number 7 this morning. I uh, The more that I study Scripture, the more I'm convicted by what I do not know. And uh, in, in working on and dealing with uh, lessons and curriculum for teaching soul winning uh, to our church, uh, God's used a few instruments to bring to my heart and my mind the, the urgency that we have in um, being well-versed, uh, well-studied, workmen that need not to be ashamed when it comes to sharing the Bible with someone. Uh, just by show of hands this morning, how many of you have been saved Less than five years. You'd say less than five years, okay? A few of you, okay. How many of you less than ten years? I mean, all of us, okay. Any, anybody less than 15? Are the rest of you all saved, I'm assuming? <laughs> yes? Uh, then let's go the other way. How many of you then, uh, well, we're not going to go through all of them. How many of you have been saved more than 15 years? Okay. All right, just trying to get a, a gist here. Uh, I, I have been uh, studying some things and trying to prepare some things to better equip our folks uh, and myself to uh, be ready to give an answer to, the Bible says, every man. Uh, there are some that when I talk with them, I feel inadequate. I feel embarrassed. I feel convicted. I feel ashamed uh, that I cannot give a better answer from Scripture. And it's not because Scripture doesn't address it. It's because I simply don't know it well enough. And uh, in light of that, I've been studying uh, some things and have been very much moved and convicted about some things. Uh, a few things have come to light in the last two weeks in, in my studying uh, that uh, I think is an, an issue that we must address in our church. And so I'm going to ask you a couple things this morning. Uh, if, I want to ask you to keep your attention as close as you can to what we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to ask you... Uh, we're going to give a lot of verses, so keep your Bibles handy and write down some notes. Um, we will record this. Jonathan, are we recording today? Okay. We will record this and make it available. Brother Keith's got a recording of it. Um, and Lord willing, we'll get through it in a, in a way that will make sense and will be helpful. Uh, but folks, we are losing ground in, in several areas. Number one... We're losing ground in being able to share biblically the gospel story with those that believe something other than the Bible. Uh, the other thing we are losing ground in is that there are people that sit in our churches that are what we would consider doctrinally sound, biblically sound churches that are being approached by other groups that are in error 
and they are leaving the doctrinally sound churches to follow after error only because they don't know any better from Scripture. And so hopefully this morning with what we're going to deal with, we're going to give you some things to anchor and ground yourself to, not because Brother Greg thinks them or because they're my thoughts or or my decisions, but because that's what the Bible says. And so we want to look at some of these things this morning, uh, Lord willing. And uh, I've spent some time putting this together. And uh, if it doesn't come out the best, we'll tackle it again next week and try to do better with it maybe. But uh, we'll see how it comes out. Matthew chapter number 7. And uh, I want us to look in, in, we'll begin in verse number 13. And I want to preface this by saying this. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, I think it was Brother Harold, uh, and talking with him. Um, the idea being, and I'd never put it in these words, but there are only two uh, lines of belief about what it takes to get eternal life. There is the line or the, the idea of grace, God's grace, and only by faith are we saved, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is the line of those that believe in works. And you can take pretty much every denomination that's out there uh, that names a Christian God or claims to name a Christian God, uh, and you can put them into one of those two categories, uh, either works or grace. And uh, we come to this place, as we get to verse number 13, we see that there's a distinction made here. <clears throat> as Jesus says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And what's the next word in Scripture here? What, what is it? Many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. And what's the next word? Few there be that find it. Then he goes on to say in verse number 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Father, I pray that you would bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. Give us your guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. And help us to understand this clearly from Scripture. Father, there's a big danger going on today. And the concern of so many that are being deceived. And I pray that you would help to give clarity and guidance in our hearts and our minds. That we may know from Scripture uh, what the truth would be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find here that there is an illustration or a word picture that Christ gives. And he's speaking here of uh, a word picture that we heard since we were kids of uh, little nursery stories about this. But the idea being, in verse number 15, that they come to you, these false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I want to focus on this just for a moment. We're going to move quickly through the material today. I've been studying a particular group and, and trying to 
get some notes together to teach our folks on how best to lead them to Christ and what scriptures can be used to help them understand and what things can be said to help them understand the truth. And um, in studying of that particular group, one of the things that they deal with is they, they sound very, very good. They're a very moral group of folks. Uh, but they, they tell you that truth is confirmed in your heart by your feeling. And they call it a testimony. They say you need to pray that God will give you a sincerity and uh, pray that God will give you this testimony that this is truth. And uh, the uh, folks that I have read about and studied on that uh, have gone through this give a very strong testimony. In fact, I found at least three different folks that went through this process and they prayed and were sincere and they did what this particular group told them to do. And they are very, very emphatic, even to this day, now that they're born-again Christians and trust Christ as their Savior, in looking back, all three of them say, we firmly believe that we did have a, 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 an event, a, an experience. We, we did have a, a feeling that took place during that moment in that time of prayer that t- caused us to have absolute peace and absolute belief that what we were holding to was true. The problem is this, that they said in hindsight... They don't know whether that feeling came from God or whether it came from the devil. You say, Brother Greg, what do you mean by that? Well, there are obviously, according to Scripture, some things that to men appear to be right. But they're wrong. We find in verse number 15 that there's one such illustration given by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That there will come false teachers and they're going to come and they're going to teach something that outwardly and on the surface and from everything that we can see from man's perspective is going to look like it's harmless and that it's good and that it's right. But the truth of the matter is it is nothing more than a disguised ravening wolf, the Bible calls it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. we've read this passage, even preached on it recently. But I want you to notice in verse uh, chapter number 4, the Bible says in verse number 2, preach the Word. Uh, Notice what it tells us to be preaching, by the way. He's not telling us to preach our opinions or our thoughts or new revelation that God has given. He's telling us to preach the what? Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering, And what does the word say there? And what? Doctrine. That's not a feeling. It's not an experience. It's doctrine. Where do we get our doctrine from? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? What's the very first one on the list? Doctrine. Where do we get our our doctrine from? The Word of God. We don't get it from a feeling. We don't get it from an experience. And Paul telling young Timothy here, he says, Timothy, you need to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound what? Doctrine. Where do we get our doctrine from? The word of God. Not a feeling, not an experience. 
We get it from sound doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What do we mean by that phrase? Paul's saying there's going to be some folks that are going to not endure doctrine. They're going to take teachers that do something other than doctrine. They're going to teach you that what is right and what is true and what is God's will in your life is something other than what His Word says. Can I tell you this this morning, that God has given us His completed revelation in the Word of God in what we hold in our hands is the Bible. And our doctrine, our anchor of our soul, that which we hold to, that which we hold fast and protect and defend and lift high is the doctrine of the Word of God. Not our beliefs, not our experiences, not our feelings, but what did God's Word say? Now that's divisive. Some people say, well, can't we just all get along? Not if we're going to hold the sound doctrine. You either either believe it or you don't. You're either on board with it or you're not. And any time you come to the point where you say, I believe the Bible and the doctrine of the Bible, but I also believe you've already gone outside of Scripture. It looks right. It sounds right. In fact, they're going to even bring teachers that look like sheep. But they're going to be ravening wolves. The Bible calls them false prophets. And they're going to come and they're going to try to make this sound really good. I was listening to uh, one of the higher-ups of this particular group I've been studying about. The entire time and listening to him, you could almost hear the, the ooziness like a, like a uh, used car salesman almost and sharing the doctrines. Here's, here's, here's what one of them said. Don't give them the meat when the milk will do. He was teaching and training some of their people. And he said, don't give them the meat when the milk will do. But in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says there are some people that ought to be able to be endure the, the meat of the Word. You ought to be growing and getting the, the meat of the Word. But they're still on the milk of the Word. And the Bible criticizes those that are on the milk of the Word. It says that we need to be that which can endure the strong meat of the Word of God. And these teachers, they're going to keep people on the milk of the Word of God. They're going to give them just enough to entice them to believe the things that they're teaching which are false according to God's Word. And they shall turn away their ears. Notice verse number 4. Look what it says. And they shall turn away their ears from the what? From the what? What is the truth? The Word of God. I am the way, the truth. And the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They are going to turn away from the truth and shall be turned unto, what is it? Fables. These are things that are made up. You know what a fable is, don't you? Aesop's fables, nursery rhymes, nursery stories. Fables usually start with something like this. Once upon a time. And they usually end with happily ever after. But can I tell you this? In the area of false doctrine, they don't end with happily ever after. 
But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Folks, I am so burdened. And I, as your pastor, stand here this morning and I'm embarrassed that I have not done diligence in my past to study and to know these things to the level that I feel that God would want every one of His children to know them. I understand it's hard to memorize. I understand it's hard to remember things. But I fear so often that because of our age and because of the fact that it gets harder to remember things, we use that as a crutch to excuse why we don't even try. Well, I I can't memorize. Brother Greg, you're asking too much. I can't memorize that. I told Brother Lane this morning, I said if somebody walked into my house and put my kids against the wall and held a gun at them and said, here's a verse of Scripture, you need to memorize it in five minutes or we're going to kill your kids, I will promise you this, I will memorize that verse. You know why I'll memorize that verse in that situation? Because all of a sudden the importance of memorizing that verse just skyrocketed in my opinion. It's a life or death matter. All of a sudden the urgency of memorizing and studying and putting my mind to it became a, took a whole new meaning because of the urgency of it. Can I share with this with you this morning? While I don't believe that would ever happen in my life, can I share this with you? What could happen in my life is I could be talking to someone and not have the verse of Scripture that I need to have to reach their heart. And it mean life and death for them. It could mean eternity in heaven or to hell. Because of the urgency and the importance I put on studying to show myself approved unto God. It could mean an eternity. If I cannot give them Scripture that shows them the truth, the sound doctrine of God's Word that is applicable to their situation, then I have failed. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse number 24, Jesus is speaking a parable here, and He says, Another parable put He forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hast it raised hath it raised hairs. And he said unto them, An enemy. Do we see that? An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with him. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest... I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Can I tell you this this morning? That the, 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 the enemy has sown tares 
And can I tell you this? He's even done it sometimes in the hearts of God's people. He's mixed in some truth. And while I understand this is dealing here with souls, the Bible gives the idea that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That there are some things that if we don't have our truth grounded, our doctrine based in the Word of God, and be well versed in it and know it well, we cannot be ready to give an answer to every man. The reason of the hope that is in us. I've had folks say in studying this and listening to testimonies of folks who have come out of this group, I've heard folks say that while they were in it, there was so much proof that what they were holding to was true. I was asked a question recently. If it's wrong, why do so many preachers endorse a particular thing? I wasn't sure I had the answer at the time. But can I tell you this, that just because a lot of preachers and a lot of deacons and a lot of church leaders put their endorsement on something does not necessarily mean it's biblical or true. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Exodus chapter number 7. Let's, let's back up a minute. Let's go to Matthew 24 first, then we're going to go to it. Exodus chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 24. Verse number 24, Jesus again is speaking here, and, and Jesus is warning this. And he says in verse number 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Can I tell you this, that the false prophets and the false doctrine that can be sown sometimes can look so appealing that, that Jesus even says that if it were even possible to draw away even his own kids, his own children, those that are believers, that if it were possible, it would draw even them away. That's pretty powerful stuff. Look with me in Ephesians or Exodus chapter 7 for a moment. In Exodus chapter number 7, we find the story of Aaron and Moses coming before Pharaoh. And for the very first time when they met with Pharaoh, they were trying to illustrate to Pharaoh that God had sent them. And God gave Moses and told him what he was to do. And in verse number 8 of chapter 7, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt send Aaron, take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and, did so, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now notice this, a miracle has been performed. Aaron takes a rod, and by the way, uh, you know, some people, some of these uh, Bible theologians that have all these degrees behind their names that are interviewed on national television, can I tell you this, and I'm going to say this as kindly as I know how to, Satan controls the media. There's no doubt about it. And, and, and he's not going to choose a Bible-believing, sound-doctrine man to get on television and be interviewed by some of these news outlets. He's just not going to do it. He's going to find somebody that's going to refute the Bible. These guys that study Scripture, supposedly, and they have all these degrees behind their names, make it up and say, well, that was just a snake that was rigid. 
when he threw it down, it began to slither. And No, no, this is a rod that turns into a snake. Do you understand this this morning? That a miracle has been performed. Now, now I want you to notice this because this is important. <clears throat> then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. By the way, how do you think they became wise men and sorcerers? There had to have been something that they were able to do that caused Pharaoh to say, boy, that's a, that's a sorcerer. That's a wise man. That's somebody I can hold to. Can I tell you this? I believe they were demonically controlled, and there were certain things they did. I have a friend of mine that was a missionary to Haiti for many, many years. He attended one time with another missionary, a seance that took place down there in their voodoo rituals. To this day, my friend will not talk about what he saw there. He said, Brother Greg, it has been so evil. But he said, rest assured, there is power there. And Pharaoh calls his wise men, verse number 11, and sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, and they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. Just because somebody performs a miracle does not mean it's of God. Can I tell you this? We're going to look in just a minute then, how do we know? How do we know? And we're going to answer that question from Scripture this morning. Because there's a lot of things that Satan will use to deceive. He's an angel of light. He's a very powerful being. He's not God's opposite. He's not even close to the power that God has for The Bible says in the last day that God is just going to speak and Satan is going to be defeated. It's not a power struggle between Satan and God, and Satan knows it. Satan knows his time is limited. And he's going to wreak havoc with God's people as much as he can. And he's going to use what power he has to try to wreak havoc with God's people, even to the point of trying to deceive them. So these astrologers, or these magicians and these wise men, they do the same thing with an enchantment. They cause their rods to turn into snakes. You cannot refute that there was something miraculous and powerful about that. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 12. But Aaron's rods swallowed up their gods. I read that sometimes and I think, boy, God must have a sense of humor. And Pharaoh thought he had gotten Aaron and Moses' goat and kind of, kind of figured out how to... How to uh, cause uh, foil their plans, and God says, oh, I'll show you this. I'll have my snake swallow up all theirs. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Can I tell you this? There are some things that Satan will do to cause even the believers to look at and say, boy, that sure sounds right. He even calls Christians to say, boy, that sure sounds right. There's something wrong with it. I want you to look at several verses with me. We're going back up to the New Testament, to the book of Titus, chapter number 1. How then do we know? How do we know? The Bible tells us uh, in 1 John, <clears throat> well, I'm going to look at a couple other verses. Hold your place in Titus 1. Don't, don't lose that. We're going to go right back there in a minute. But turn with me, if you will, to 1 John, chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. And let's begin in verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, 
But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, even uh, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you, than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What's the test? Well, they have to believe that Jesus Christ came in bodily form and that he is the Son of God. They have to also be able to believe, in verse number 6, we are of God, and knoweth that God hear, uh, and he that knoweth God heareth us. But he that is not of God heareth not us. Those that will hold to what the Bible says, the Bible says they're of God. And if they don't hold to it, then they're not of God. If they say the Bible and, you can put anything after the end you want to, they are not of God. They just aren't. That's the test that is given here. So we find this. I want you to look with me now in 1 Peter chapter number 1. This is one that I think if we're not careful, even, even solid, doctrinally sound people will fall into this trap. And I want to try to help with some of this because I've, I've heard statements made from time to time. And I know, I know sometimes what is meant by the statement, but the statement comes out in a way that makes it sound, boy, that, that could be wrong according to Scripture. I want you to look at with me in 1 Peter chapter number 1 in verse number 20. If I got the right passage here, first one. Oops, I don't have the right chapter. Hey, give me just a second. Second Peter, I believe it is. Did I write it down wrong? Yes, I did. Yes, Second Peter. I'm sorry. Chapter number one, verse number twenty. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, of the scripture, is of any. What's the next two words here? Private interpretation. Okay, so follow me on this for a moment. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. That means then that the truth that is in Scripture does not change from one person to the next. We, we call that, uh, in, in the day that we live, we call it social theology. Based on my circumstance, this is what that means. Based on this over here, this is what that truth means. No, no, the truth means only one thing, and that's what God intended for it to mean. The application of that truth may vary, and I, I'm okay with that. But the truth of God's Word does not change. It is not open for every man to say, I believe that that's teaching this, and somebody else say, I believe it's teaching this, and they're the opposite. Now we have a conflict. Which one's right? The truth is only of the interpretation that God intended for it to be. It is one truth and one truth only. Application of that truth may vary, but the truth remains the same. The psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It doesn't fluctuate, it doesn't move, it doesn't change, it doesn't move with culture, and it doesn't move with society. Now, if you will, look with me in Titus, chapter number 1. Titus, chapter number 1. We're going to spend a few minutes here on this topic, and then we're going to move to two other tests 
of uh, when we have a false prophet or a false teacher teaching some things from Scripture. I will tell you this. We've already seen uh, two of them that we found in First uh, uh, John chapter number 4 that they believe that the Son of God came in bodily form when he was uh, the Son of God, that Jesus Christ came in bodily form, and that they hold to and hear the words that were being spoken and being taught from Scripture. Those that don't hold the Scripture, they, they are not of God. Somebody that will tell you, I know God's Word says this, but you can mark it down, they're not of God. I, I try not to be make a ministry of destroying other people's ministries. Uh, it's not my position. My position is to declare the Word of God and to teach the people that God's given under my care to teach and to lead and to show from Scripture some things and to grow together as the Lord leads us. But a couple of weeks ago, Brother Jim was telling me of a very well-known pastor, pastors one of the largest churches in the United States of America, who preached on John 5, wasn't it, on the vine and the branches. And the Bible says, and Jesus speaking, says, I am the vine... Ye are the branches. Is that, is that what it says? Y'all with me on this one? Y'all remember that passage? Meaning that the vine was who? Jesus Christ. And who were the branches? You and I. This preacher preached on that passage and he said this. You are the vine. And the branches are all the circumstances that bring trouble into your life. The branches that don't bear fruit, they're the trouble-making branches of your life. And God will cast them off and throw them in the fire so your life will be okay. What did he do? He did not teach what was in this book. According to Scripture then, the Bible says he is not of God. You can mark it down. I understand that preachers are human can make a mistake and an error. We're not talking about that issue. We're talking about men who will teach doctrine contrary to what this book says. Now, if you will, look with me in Titus chapter number 1 because this is an area that I feel the reason we're in the condition we're in, the reason I'm in the condition I'm in of not being as well studied in this thing as I should be is because of this issue right here. Look with me in Titus chapter 1, verse number 9. Paul is writing to Titus and training him for ministry work, and he says in verse number 9, Hold fast the what? The faithful what? Faithful word. What are we talking about here? Talk about the scriptures. The faithful word. They don't change. They're steadfast. They're unmovable. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by what? By sound doctrine. Not by experience, not by testimony, not by feeling, but he may by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Those that don't agree with the things of God, by sound doctrine, Paul says, Titus will be able to exhort and convince them. Not by experience, not by feeling. Look with me, if you will, as we continue down to chapter number 2. Verse number 1, But speak thou the things which become what? 
sound doctrine. Do we see a theme developing here? That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound. He deals with aged men teaching younger men. He deals with aged women teaching younger women. And we get to verse number 7. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In what? In what? Verse number 7. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Look with me in verse number, as we read on down. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. And by the way, when we teach sound doctrine, the things that we say cannot be condemned because they're not our speech, are they? Whose speech is it when we teach sound doctrine? It's God's speech. It came from His Word, right? The things that we've said about it come from this Word. And so we find here as we get to verse number 9, sound speech, it cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God. Adorn? I thought that meant something to do with dressing yourself, putting things on. That they may adorn the doctrine of God? What are we talking about there? And when men look at you, they don't look at your experience or your feeling. But they look at the principles that you live your life by that are the doctrines of God's Word. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Chapter number 1. And we're going to begin going down through chapter number 1 for a moment. Uh, let's back up to verse number, let's go and start in verse number 9, if you will. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Verse number 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing what? Spirits and doctrines of... Wow. In the latter times some are going to depart... They're going to follow after a doctrine that is not of God, but a doctrine that is of what? The devil. There is a difference. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, notice this, thou shalt be a what? A good minister of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be. Would, would, would you agree with me this morning? That, that is what we would want in our lives, isn't it? For, for God to look at you or God to look at me and say, 
That's a good minister of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we desire? So, so look what it says. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Folks, we have, we have two, two thoughts here. One is, we, we, we want to follow our experiences. We want to follow social theology. As the world changes, as morality changes, so goes our doctrine. Don't give them the meat when the milk will do. Just kind of ease them along. Don't hurt their feelings. Get your hair permed and have a nice grinny teeth smile. And get up and tell people everything will be all right. But there's no doctrine in it. It's all feeling. It's all experience. And those that do such, the Bible says, are not of God. They're not a good minister of Jesus Christ, are they? So how do we know? First John chapter number 4, if you will. We've read this. I want to just point it out to you. We're going to go to two tests in Scripture. And let me say this. We've looked at two tests already. I'm going to give you two more out of the book of Deuteronomy, and then we're going to be done. But let me say this. These are not exhaustive. There are other tests that you can use as well. I'm telling you, these are ones we ought to for sure make sure of. These are, these are simple ones to tell. They're objective. They're easy to determine. God doesn't make it hard to distinguish between false doctrine and his word. It's, it's pretty simple to tell. Look with me in 1 John chapter number 4 again, just for a moment. Let's look at just one verse, verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we have been instructed, we've been commanded, we've been told in Scripture that we are to test the spirits, whether they be of God. And then God tells us how to go about doing this. He he has been telling us how to do this for thousands of years. And yet many times we just don't follow it. I want us to look at a couple more in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we'll be done. And hang in there with me. I know we've looked at a lot of Scripture, and I know that sometimes it gets hard to listen after a few minutes. But I promise you, we are almost done. Just another three or four hours, and we'll be out of here. (laughs) You're still awake. (laughs) Some of you caught that. Those of you that didn't catch it, um, you can get the tape and replay that, I guess. Deuteronomy chapter number 18. And uh, we're just going to look at a few verses of Scripture, a few verses of Scripture. Verse number 20. Now, God is giving to the nation of Israel a way to determine. Because understand that at this point in, in the history of man, they do not have the completed Bible that we hold in our laps today. They had prophets that were used of God, men that came and said, Thus saith the Lord. And that's a critical statement. Thus saith the Lord. There were, uh, there were prophets that, um, well, let me move on and, and show you this verse from Scripture, and then we'll go on uh, from there. Verse number 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name. So this is a prophet that comes and says, God has told me this. This is what God intends for years. So a prophet which shall presume to speak in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. 
So how do we know? Well, one easy test is a test, what we call a test of theology. Okay, so the first one we find is right there in verse number 20. If, if a prophet gets up and says uh, that he's going to speak in the name of other, what, gods, even that prophet shall die. So here, here's the, the quandary we're in today. Okay, look right up here and follow me for just a minute. We're almost done. The quandary we're in today is a lot of groups, let me put it that way, it's the easiest way I know how to put it, say, hey, we all pretty much believe the same being. I'm afraid not. A particular group that I, I've been studying here recently or lately believe that Adam had progressed to God. They don't hold to that in their current writings, but that's how their religion became established. A few years ago, I went to lunch with a missionary friend of mine. <clears throat> and he said I was, I'm, I'm telling you what he was telling me. He said I was with a friend a few weeks ago that has been working on an Arabic Bible with the intent of getting it over to the Middle East, and allowing the Bible to reach Muslims. And they've spent a couple years dealing with this. So this man was having lunch with my missionary friend, and he was so excited. He said, we finally got the Bible done. He said, and we made it so easy for our Muslim friends to read it because every time it used the word God, we put the word Allah in there. Now, we know it means the one true God, but it helps them to read it if they think they're reading it about Allah. And he was all excited about this. Can I tell you this? Allah is not God. You start looking at some of these other groups and organizations, and they do not teach and preach the same God that I teach and preach from this word. The same God that you believe in for your salvation. And they say, oh, that's, that's okay. We may disagree on the fringe things. But as long as we can all be in agreement on these, wait a minute, if that preacher, that prophet, is teaching about any other God than the one that this Bible speaks about, the Bible says in Deuteronomy they'd put them to death for it. He was a false prophet. Look what else it says. Verse number 21, And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? That sounds like a sensible question, doesn't it? Well, how do we know? If this guy gets up and says, Thus saith the Lord, and it's really not the Lord, how do we know? Well, here's, here's the answer. God gives it to him. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But if the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So a prophet that says that something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, God says, wasn't me. I didn't give that to him. Must have been somebody else. I'm not saying he wasn't given something. But if God didn't give it to him, who did? Satan did. And he's a false prophet. 
it doesn't say that they need to be correct 30% of the time. It doesn't even say they need to be correct. Uh, Reagan, what's passing grade in, in school now? I would ask Nate and Alex, but they've never had one, so I don't know if they would get it or not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what's a passing grade, guys, in school? What is it? A C, which is what? A 70? 70 is passing? The, the prophet doesn't have to be correct 70% of the time. And that would, that would seem logical, wouldn't it? I mean, that's passing. Even on your driver's test, I think you can miss that many, right? 80? Well, they put a high standard on it, don't they? How about if a prophet is correct 99% of the time? Is he still a prophet of God? No. See, the, the, the criteria that Scripture gives is he has to be accurate 100% of the time because God never changes. God doesn't make errors and God doesn't make mistakes. And folks, I've shared some of the things this morning, and I don't even know how to give an invitation on something like this. I really don't. But it's something that our people need to know. Because we we hold to this book. And I'm not saying that we get everything exactly right. We, we try our best. So this is our heart's desire, to follow this book and this book alone. We don't want to go by experience. We don't want to go by a feeling that we have. We don't want to go by what some man that we put up in a position says in addition to the Bible. The book of Galatians says, Though we or an angel from heaven speak any other gospel than that which is given to you, let him be accursed. Even an angel. What what if today at 12.08 on February the 3rd, those doors open, and a glorious, bright, shimmering angel came walking down the aisle. Looking at him, there was no doubt he was a supernatural being. And he stood here in the front of this auditorium and said, I know what the Bible says, but let me give you something else. What does the Bible say we're supposed to think of that angel that came? He's to be what? Accursed. Why? Because God has given us His finished and complete revelation in His Word. And then He says, I want you to know it. I want you to have speech that cannot be condemned because it's sound doctrine. And I would encourage us as a church. Can I I encourage you today in this? Can we make the studying of this book urgent enough in our lives that we will double or triple or even quadruple in some cases our effort to do all that we can to learn it to know these things to be able to give an answer to people does it make a difference between heaven and hell for somebody it could I come up against somebody, I come up to somebody and I talk to them and they tell me from, they're from a particular set of beliefs over here and I don't understand their beliefs. I don't know what they're talking about. They're using terminology that I use but they mean something different by it. And I don't know enough to know that. That person can die and go to hell because of my ignorance of Scripture. Is it urgent enough that I study? Yes, it is.
Is it urgent enough that I, I learn it and dedicate myself to it? Yes, it is. Because, folks, it's heaven and hell that we know this stuff. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, I have done my best this morning. I know I've not done real well. There's been a lot to give and a short time to give it. Lord, perhaps there's been some scattered thoughts and maybe not as well presented as it could have been. But Lord, you know my heart and you know the burden of it. And I pray that the word that has been given, the passages we have looked at and the truth that has been exposed and uncovered today from your word, I pray that it will go forth with the power of the Holy Spirit and do its work in our hearts that I cannot do. Father, may we understand the urgency and the importance of the matter that we give ourselves to this book to study it, to know it, to be workmen that need not to be ashamed. We will be men and women who will be able to know and to speak sound doctrine. Bless this church and its people. Lord, may you protect us from those things that would try to deceive or detract us from the truth of your word. Bless the invitation time. And Lord, I don't even know how to give it today. But Father, if there is someone here that does not know if they died right now, they'd go to heaven. They don't know the truth of salvation. They've held to an experience. They've held to a feeling. And they've never had a time where they've put their faith and placed their trust in the doctrine of the fact that you came and bled and died in their place and that that payment is enough to cover their sin. To give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that today would be the day they would trust you as their Savior. Father, there may be some Christians here today that, like I have been in the last week, are convicted at the time that has been wasted in our lives of not giving ourselves diligently to the study of this book in such a way as to be able to give an answer to every man. To be able to discern and to know the truth of the doctrine of Your Word. To be able to discern the spirits, whether they be of You or whether they be of Satan. I pray that You would help us in this area. Bless the invitation, Lord. Speak to hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.